I'm Paul Hamill and you're listening to the Grassroots Coach Podcast, a podcast for grassroots soccer enthusiasts. When they finalised the report and development, what was put in was the best playing against the best, so the formation of National League. 100% I agree, standards have been raised. What also was put in was the, summer, the, the one called the summer season from March through March to November. To November. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I went away from that group expecting yeah. that to be carried forward. Little did I know that shortly after, leagues would say, hold on a minute, we're not doing it. We're not yeah. doing it. Yeah. That shouldn't have been the case. Mm. What should have been the case was, this is when we're having, if you want to form your own league in the winter season, go form it. But we're carrying on with leagues in the summer. In this episode, I speak with former UCD and Limerick FC manager, Martin Russell, Dennis Hines, FAI Development Officer in Clare, Paul Smith, Director of Football at Home Farm Football Club, and Tony Mannion, former League of Ireland manager and FAI tutor, where we discuss the summer and winter schoolboy seasons and why they are unaligned. What we're going to discuss on today's podcast is in relation to the schoolboy, schoolgirl season. And the challenge, current challenge in, in the current landscape is that they are unaligned. So what I mean by being unaligned is, and again, for clarity for people listening, you have what's referred to as the traditional season. And just for clarity, I'm just going to call it the winter season. And typically that is September to June. And then you have the summer season, typically March to November. And the current landscape uh, would be, and we're going to talk mainly about school boys, but I think a lot of what we talk about will also relate to school girls. But I think the National Underage League in, in the school girls isn't as advanced as the school boys, but probably will, will follow suit. And Dennis, um, I'm sure you can give us a steer on that as, as you work for the FAI. And the, the current landscape being that the National Underage League is playing in the summer season and typically the schoolboys play in that winter season. And just to give an example of where that might cause problems is, I suppose, if a player is deemed good enough in the schoolboy leagues to play in that elite national league, that player, I suppose, is in season come um, March time in middle of their season. And I suppose if one or two leave to go to that National League structure, that team is then left with a lack of players. Uh, and we know teams have folded as a result of that. So that's kind of the, the context of our conversations. We're going to kick off with, just to start with that winter season, when, when that originated, what was the rationale for that? What was the rationale that soccer um, administrators, people involved in soccer, decided that the best time to play soccer um, and schoolboy level in particular was that winter, September to June? Who would like to take that one um, going back to the, to the start of it all? But I'll give you my talk. Yeah, me sure. I, I think uh, what what we've done and what we've done traditionally is we followed the, the Brits. So what was done in, in Britain is, you know, where, where, where the game uh, developed and evolved, uh, we just followed suit. And everything we do from, you know, our schoolboys, from our uh, professional game, um, you know, to our, our junior game, it's all uh, modelled on what they've done. And, you know, traditionally in, in England, they play cricket in the summer and uh, soccer in the winter. 
and that was that was that, that was a tradition. And we just, you know, why would from from a, a fledging um, country or association, uh, you know, even where we had difficulty in setting up our own association, where you know it started predominantly in the north and just you know uh, gradually um, moved down south. Uh, we we played and you know we've, we've had some internationals that had played um, with Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, you know, at the same practically at the same time. But uh, you know, I, I think that's what we've done. We've okay, just, we've just copied what the others have done. Okay, that's great, Tony. Thanks for that, Paul. Do you want to want to come in yeah, on that? Yeah. Now, come here. Following on with what Tony says. Paul, I think it's just being traditional as well. Like Tony said, Paul, on a European footing as well, like we, we all remember, I remember listening on, uh, as they used to call them uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, the transistor radio. Uh, Dennis, you wouldn't know anything about this now because you're one of those millennials. Uh, but um, a transistor radio, uh, listening to Liverpool playing Dynamo Dresden on a wet Tuesday in Dresden and different things like that. And it was always true of, true of winter and, and everything was true of the winter and it was aligned with European. But I think here now, and Tony, maybe you can, you can nod, as they say, Tony, on this as well. I, I think in our country, we're a little bit unique as well, because obviously we have our national sport, the GAA. And a lot of the time when I played through the 80s uh, in the club I'm with involved with at the moment, home farm as well, I was able to play my soccer in the winter. And in North County, Dublin, as you probably know, cricket is huge. So I was able to get me a bit of cricket in in the summer and a bit of ga as well, because it was sort of an unwritten rule, Tony, going back as well, that the GAA picked a certain uh, time of the year, but they also picked a certain day of the weekend uh, to play their Gaelic football. And soccer had then the other day at the weekend to play. But unfortunately, that's all gone to pot probably in the last 20, 25 years where uh, I'm not blaming the GAA. The GAA have swamped the market Saturdays, Sundays, and it is difficult now. In terms of the, let's start with the pros, the, the positives with playing, and again, we're focused on schoolboys here, um, playing in those winter months from uh, September to June. What, what are the positives of that? Again, Paul, um, Paul, I don't see too many positives, if any at all. Right. I think I've touched on it before when I was on um, the last podcast that we sat on a technical development committee for a while, myself and a couple of others, and 2014. And around that time, um, the, the small sided games and all the elements of player development was being discussed. And the, the two core ones that were standing out for me was how we were going to get the best playing against the best parade standards but also what I thought had to go hand in hand with that was for everybody that plays football you must play football in the best weather and the old season you know the origins that Tony's touched on may well be the case and when I started playing football till I, till I, till I finished and um, left the country it was that that time of the year for the season um, September through to um, through, through, through the bad winter months into early summer where they crammed the games in right at the end where you played midweek games to finish off your season. So it was never questioned until, you know, and, and, and really until it was put in place in um, around 2014 that we may change it. And um, as I said, yeah, I don't see any really benefits from playing in the winter. I don't yeah. know whether any of, the, any of the boys do. Okay. Dennis, just to bring you in there, um, we, we may as well just stay on the positives of it and, I know you've done a paper uh, down in Clare, which we'll get to a little bit later, but just mm. positives that, that you see in that winter winter months playing. 
Well, I suppose, Father, give me my experience of it, and it was probably the innocence or, or the enthusiasm of getting involved coaching as a, a young coach at 17 or 18 or 19 in, in North West Clare, where just to have juvenile soccer was uh, kind of a, an achievement uh, from previous generations. But again, obviously, with experience, eight or nine years of doing the Saturday morning gig in the rain in the winter, you know, just you and the kids watching a game of football um, without even worrying about the quality of football. Uh, you know, certainly after eight or nine years, I think a lot of myself personally and a lot of people within Clare soccer at the time kind of sat down and said, there must be a, another way of doing this or there, there must be a better way of, uh, of doing it. You know, and, and I think the motto we used at the time was insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, and I suppose that echoes Martin's point of when we analysed what we were doing and the time of year that we were providing soccer for, for youngsters, we really couldn't. The page of positives would be a very short one, you know, compared to the, mm. the negative. But, it, but, it, but in the context of, of the county you're in and mm. hurling, I presume hurling is, is the big sport. I'm sure Gaelic football is strong as well. Is that, that obviously would have a bigger impact on soccer to to change to to move away from that winter season I, I suspect yeah look that was that was one of the initial uh, massive considerations um you know were we risking okay we had grown the game to a certain level participation wise in Clare there was clubs all across Clare in areas that there was never juvenile clubs in and were we risking damaging all that 10 or 20 years work by people um, in some people's minds they, they thought we were going up against the GA mm. um, but actually when we when we sat down and, and discussed how we were going to make this workable for everyone it actually involved a lot of discussions with the GA because you know I'm sure it's the same across the country it's the same, in a lot of cases it's the same parents it's the same kids mm. and it was kind of um, let's make this work you know. Okay. Tony, just to stay on the positives, I'm conscious of, you know, we'll talk about the positive and negatives of, of winter, and then obviously they'll they'll reflect into the summer. Obviously, a, a negative of winter will probably be a positive of summer. So I'm just conscious of that. But positives on I mean it is it is what we play typically. So there must be I'd like to think there's some positives, otherwise it, it probably is crazy that we're doing it if, if there are if there are very few to none, you know. Well, Paul, if, if, if uh, you know, uh, positives and negatives, but ask the participants, you know, like we, we talk about our view of it, but I, I, in my time, I've never seen kids uh, not wanting to play. I've never seen kids not wanting to train. You know, okay, conditions were difficult, but uh, uh, I've, I can't, <clears throat> in my time, and I'm around a while, I can't remember uh, having a real negative about going training, about going playing. Um, we played, you know, and when we talk about uh, the, the, the positives in terms of the conditions that we played in and trained in in the past in comparison with now, like it's chalk and cheese. There is a huge, huge difference in terms, you know, we've got floodlights now and we've got, you know, we've got artificial surfaces. We've got a changing climate as well. You know, so it's, it's actually getting better from, from, from a winter season point of view. Well, I, I think the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And I think what we had from a positive 
was that we had kids participating. We had kids playing. And if, if you go back so a number of years and you try and make a, an argument for it and you said it was a big league, get loan in district league, ADSL was a very strong league. A huge number of bids, seven, 800 kids playing every weekend um, through a winter season. And that league has disappeared because, you know, we're, we're moving to, to better, you know. So I, I think we need to be careful in what in how we 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 present this and how we analyze this and i think from from me the positive as always was and you know it's funny i i i'm i'm from athlone i grew up in the midlands and i came when i came to galway and the thing i miss most about being in galway is that we never got those cold frosty winter nights here it was always wind and rain you know and you know the occasional time occasionally when you'd get that that crispy winter night and you're out playing under lights it was magical and as kids back to mark and saying you know what we grew up looking at and listening to uh or sorry it wasn't it was paul's uh, uh reminiscing um you know you, you you miss that so you know i i would look back and say uh do i miss um something about it yeah i, I miss that it wasn't as cold or as, as bitter here or as frosty here in galway as it would be in, in the midlands so i I, th- I think there were a lot of positives but i think we, we have to we have to gauge it by how people react to it so okay. if you put something on the market if you put something out there i think you've got to judge it by how people perceive it and whether people use it and I, like we had a huge huge uh, participation levels at all uh, right across the board so I, you know, I, I don't think we can uh, uh, turn around and say, "Oh, it was cold and it was wet," and you know, and nobody came out. Sure, I, I think I think Tony, I think you're right. I think we again going on to my, my my age group as well. We were just grateful to play ball, but remember that the you know the kids were being led by the adults. It was the adults that structured the league. It was the adults that made decisions of when the leagues would go on, and um, I just think, you know, as I've become an adult, I've questioned things about the game. Um, I'm saying to myself, what are the best conditions to play football in? And we talk about player development and being player-centered, but we need to be game-centered as well. So we need to do more, as I said, in all aspects of the game of football, we need to treat the game better in this country, you know, from more investment to looking at the game, not making excuses, but we won't do this because other codes, you know, we don't want an effect on them. We need to do so much more for football. And it does start from the grassroots and it does start with what's the best conditions to allow players to develop in the game of football. And for me, it's definitely not the winter months. It's more close to a summer season. Yeah, come here, just give you just, just something that I just picked up on there. Uh, Martin just said as well, I, I think Martin uh, and I'm, I've seen it in home farming. I've only been there in just over a year now and it's been a COVID year. Obviously we hadn't had a full season, but uh, the one thing I do see even in our own club martin is is that some of our managers uh facilitate gaelic footballers um and to me i don't necessarily agree with that i like to see them play the sport there's absolutely no problem but in some of the age groups martin when they're 15 years up and we're still facilitating gaelic footballers i just think we're getting it wrong and there's a lot of money and investment going in there which i think is 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 wasteful at times so just want to clarify just a little bit on that i've seen that firsthand now as well in the last year that 
you know, we are a soccer club first and foremost, and we can we can actually put in extra soccer teams down the age groups uh, underage because obviously we have restrictions like everyone else. We can only get so many people onto pitches and different things like that. So I would be definitely looking hard from academy three four years of age up to under twelves thirteens because obviously we can't affect the the League of Ireland because we're not League of Ireland. But I know we we'll probably talk about that later. Paul, the winter summer, um, I think. The, the winter is facilities, as we say, and obviously we have training facilities that we have to, we have our own training facilities up, up in the club, but obviously we have to hire facilities like other people as well and the all weathers. Um, I've seen so many matches like everyone else has on the call tonight. And to be honest with you, uh, I've always thought uh, artificial surfaces are great for, uh, for doing skills, going through team formation, shape, different things like that. But it's not realistic to the game they actually go out and play then uh, because obviously uh, you can get one artificial that bounces low. You can get another bar. Uh, now, you can, that can be with grass pitches as well. But I, I just think grass pitches is, is where soccer really happens for me. And that was came to pass at the weekend then when you see, it, see a competition like we hosted played on grass. The, the one thing I did see in summer soccer, Martin, when it went there was, and this would have been the downside because... I definitely was an advocate because obviously playing in the States and places like that, we, we played football uh, obviously during summer months and different things like that. And okay, the weather is a little bit different over there, but you get summer and winter like everywhere else. But we did play through the summer and you get through a lot more games and different things like that. I suppose the summer thing for me is uh, in relation to uh, the way we do it here. To be honest with you guys, a lot of parks that we actually have to use during the summer season that I, I went through because I was actually coaching my son's team at the time. I think he was under 10s or 11s at the time. And Martin, I saw two head injuries in, in his age group. And the two head injuries was a ball bouncing so high that the feet came up. And it actually caught a kid here in the... Now, come here, Martin. Oh. Jesus, I'm not a prude. Uh, and Dennis and Tony. That can happen in the winter as well. But it was just... I wouldn't personally like to see our under-12s, our 13s playing in St. Anne's Park, uh, you know, on the surfaces we have. I, I, that, that was a big one for me. It was a bit of an eye-opener because we would have been huge advocates when we worked in the FAI about see could we make change happen with obviously big leagues like the DDSL and the Cork League as well and down in Limerick and around the country. And then when obviously Mayo took the, the mantle up, uh, was it Mayo? Yeah, Mayo where it went summer yeah. soccer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, there was a great buzz around and there was a great sort of, Jesus, yeah, we get better players, the surfaces will be better. But I even see in clubs like our own and, and, and more established clubs like that as well, we don't have, we're very lucky in our club because there's an underground well that can, we can water our pitch. But then we run into other difficulties then out in another area where we have ground at the, you know, outside in the VEC and Whitehall as well, where we can't get a drop of water on it. And we couldn't use the pitch last weekend because uh, we had to double up in Whitehall and Moby Road because the pitch was actually dangerous. But, uh, but as you said, Paul, you, you, you could get that in the winter also. It could be a similar um, well, I think, Paul, situation an, in the winter. Well, I'm an advocate for it. I don't know if anyone else is. But the way I see schoolboy football, especially at the ages I'm talking from, not saying from three up, but from three years of age as our academy, but up to the age of 12, 13, uh, that there is absolutely no reason why we can't be playing. I, I think 
the, the December, January, February is a washout in this country, to be very honest with you. Um, not much football happens. We all know that. You don't need me saying that. But I, I, I think I think we, and it's something Martin just said, and I came in on the back of it there, was we should be doing a lot more to promote uh, perfect uh, soccer sessions as opposed to just to put in soccer. Say, like soccer is usually played on a Tuesday, Thursday. That's usually training. You know, we're trying to get coaches into the mindset. By the way, you can train on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays also, uh, depending on what you're going to do. But I see a perfect solution. Uh, that's something that the FEI didn't grasp. And I thought they were when I was there because there was a few of us really pushing hard. Uh, I don't know why uh, for the schoolboys, schoolgirls, that we don't have very heavily worked and organized futsal uh, clubs uh, during the winter months. Uh, very good. I'm not saying in a, 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 they're in addition to the to the to the uh, to the outfield game. They're they're not going to take over the outfield game. Uh, as I said, they're in addition to that. And the, the decisions that need to be made. Summer soccer, you talk about as well. We have to be careful as well because you know 90% of people take their holidays in the summer. And I had to make a commitment for my young fella this year. And I suppose this is the first year I really had to do it, uh, guys. And it was. Uh, he is, uh, he's an elite cricket player. Um, and I, we had to organize our week away in Kerry around what an elite young sports person has to do. And I suppose from my point of view there is as well, I think people will need to make decisions whether, uh, and Paul, you and I tipped on this earlier uh, as well. We, we chatted a while back about this. And if you are playing in an, in an elite league, uh, be it a premier DDSL or be it League of Ireland, unfortunately, maybe parents might need to make the decision whether their kids are playing in elite leagues and maybe look at those leagues, as I think we touched on, being played at a different time of the year, whereas the participation leagues perhaps are played during the winter or whatever, uh, where kids, we just need to get them on the field. I, I don't know. But with Elite, and there's a man there at the bottom of my screen, Martin can tell you, he played at that level. Uh, you do have to make sacrifices. And I'm sure, Martin, in your household, mm. sacrifices were made to get you to where you needed to get to also. Taking Paul Smith's point earlier, the accommodating GA players. We, we spoke with the underage GA and Claire to get the schedule that we wanted for soccer. So what initially started out as three nights a week is now underage soccer in Clare for boys and girls six of the seven nights a week, right? Activity-wise, I'll give you these figures. Tully United, uh, we compare them with the St. Kevin's boys team, a high-level Premier National Cup champions, St. Kevin's boys under 14 squad, five or six years ago. Uh, Tully United had 116 meetings over the calendar year. They played 36 matches and they had something like 74 sessions and they went to a summer tournament. St. Kevin's boys, National Cup champions, the DDSL champions, uh, tournament visitors to Everton, etc., etc. You know, I think their total contact time was about 136 sessions in the year. So this excuse of, oh, we, are we losing or accommodating uh, kids or accommodating the GA? You don't. That Tully United proved that with cooperation, communication, with uh, planning and organization, their under 14 players were exposed to 112 club contacts. Six of those players were on the Kennedy Cup team at the time. 
Yeah, but Dennis, Again. if you if you bring that down to an individual level player, and that player, and we all know, you know, there are benefits to play in lots of different sports. Martin, you had said you played GAA when you were younger and stuff like that. So lots of benefits to play in multiple sports. How does that work on, for that individual boy or girl that is now where, where there are clashes? I'm assuming there would be clashes um, where they can't do both. And is that why there is a winter season? Because the GAA is... Well, well, you know, well, at all the, I mean, listen, the GAA will always do what's best for the GAA. Mm, yeah. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're in the cricket associate, you'll do what's best for the So they're, they're, not, they're not thinking about us. Is what I, don't, you're, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. I mean, again, as I said to you, I just, again, I played gaily football. I've enjoyed it at school, but my first love is football. Mm. And I would say that we don't do enough of the game and we make excuses. What will the GAA think? What will this thing? You know, I think we've, we've got to stop that. We've got to do what's right for the game and do what's right for the players to play the game as regards to being player-centered when they play the game for their development. They're the two core issues. Yeah. And not to be saying, well, we don't want to upset them. Yeah. You know, kids will kids kids kids, kids will play both. Yes, kids will correct. play both, and they'll find ways of playing both. And then there'll come a time where they may say, "Well, yeah. I'm better at GAA. I'm going to come." That's fine. Mm. But listen, we're going to make it attractive for you that you can play football 12, 12 months of the year, whether it's outdoor or indoor, and you're not going to have any excuse not to play football. And that's that's what we need to focus on. But Dennis, on. that that partnership approach you mentioned in Clare, do you, do you think that's achievable in somewhere like Dublin, or do you think just kind of what what Martin is saying there that you just you obviously felt the need to have conversations with them and come up with a joint approach? But yeah, no, look, we haven't had those conversations, Paul, in six years now okay. because the game is established, the routines right. are established, the schedules are established. You know, if I was to say give you an example of the opportunities that, that arise in the winter for player development, like Tony mentioned. Uh, in the recent League of Ireland season, Limerick uh, had a Clare goalkeeper. Treaty United, sorry, had a Clare goalkeeper. Uh, Galway United, we've always supplied Clare goalkeepers to Galway United. Now, if someone was to say that to me 20 years ago when I started coaching, that you know we would have prominent Clare goalkeepers in the League of Ireland, where does that tradition come from? It comes from Martin and the UCD scholarship and Barry Ryan initially back in the day. But then in the winter season in Clare, we run a goalkeepers program for all young goalkeepers, boys and girls. Why can we run that development program? Is because there's no fixtures getting in the way. As Tony mentioned, the priority for a lot of these administrators is, oh, can we just get the season out of the way? Whereas us as player developers, because of the structure of the season, we could now dedicate 10 Friday nights to goalkeeping. You know, and does that help uh, boost the kids' confidence in County Clare that they might be a goalkeeper if they stick at it? You know, so, so am I, and again, I don't know enough about the GAA, but if, if soccer was to move en masse to summer, summer football or one calendar season? You would lose, you would lose your 2% highly talented GA okay. focused player. Right. But well, that's a good way to, to here's, describe here's it. Here's the yeah. benefit, Paul. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Say your 10-year-old son or daughter, they can now play under 10s on a Wednesday night. They can play an under 11 soccer game on a Thursday night. They could play under 12s on a Tuesday. Mm. And if they're really soccer mad, they can play under 14s on a Saturday. Now, you yeah. multiply that by 15 weeks sure. over that. They can, that soccer-only kid 
can play 60 games of soccer. And by the way, that rings a bell, Martin, with your mm. own background. That's how you described yeah. your yeah. Belvedere playing, a, you know, playing yeah. multiple years at under 12 or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. but it also touched on, Paul, what it would remind me of there is that, you know, I had football 24-7 out on the streets. If I wasn't playing with Belvedere, I was playing my mates. You're now not seeing kids playing out on the street. So you're nearly having the structure playing time for them in a way that, again, doesn't give them excuses. Because we've got to maximise. We're such a small nation. That we and, and because again, I think part of the problem is that kids don't play on the streets anymore, they're playing PlayStation as opposed to playing the real thing. So we have to maximize it even more mm. and put structures in place that doesn't give them an excuse that sure. there's no football on. So that's really what it's about, I think. And yeah, we're still gonna yeah. we're still listen, we're still gonna struggle because of the, the pool of people. Yeah, it's and, an interesting point because I mean I'll always just think of my, my own lad, and um yes, when there's structured training on he has to go and the PlayStation is left behind. But when it's left up to themselves, like we would have done, get together, they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Too many other, other distractions. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I can't remember. I mean, again, I'm out of Luke now, and, but I can't remember um, going by too many streets where I'm seeing kids putting down jumpers for goals. Or You'll see the odd goal out in the, in the park here and there, maybe in the garden, but you don't see lads playing against each other in, in 2v2s, no. 3v3s, no. which was the yeah. case. But um, so how do you how do you compensate for that? And I said, how do you maximise the already small pool of participants compared to European? This is talking about raising standards as well. But um, regarding participation, yeah, give them the good weather to play in. Don't give them any excuses. The team that I have under going under 15, and I don't like putting players in categories, but, they, but they're not elite, okay? So let's say mm-hmm. we, we often talk about elite players, which is mm-hmm. fine. And it was very interesting, Martin, the last time you were on, you never mentioned the word elite in your own background. You know what I mean? You just played, you played the game and, and it transpired that you, you, you know, you, you were mm-hmm. one of the better players and went, went to England as a result of that. But in terms of my situation and with my team, I wouldn't have been able to field a team during the summer because, and it's gone back to the point Paul Smith made earlier, because of holidays and maybe COVID has been a little bit different because people have been able to work away from home. Maybe people have traveled a bit more um, this year, but, but I wouldn't have been able to field an 11 side team during the summer because they're not that serious about it. And they're not going to give up the flexibility of holidays for football. Yeah. But you know, think, and, and at the elite level, I think it's different, as Paul Smith was saying. If, if, you're, if your kid is good yeah. and is elite, you're going to make those sacrifices as a parent. Yeah. But just, I think just, you, on that, just on that one, Paul, yeah. and, and again, it's, it's from experience. Uh, the one calendar season in Clare, what it looks like now is the last two weeks and the first 10 days of August are, are yeah. free. I noticed that so here, the so three-week break, yeah, yeah. And that was only discovered by running a couple of seasons and coming across the issues that you mentioned, that, yeah. hang on yeah. a minute, I was missing four players to Ireland, two of them were gone to the Irish College, one of them was Leeds, basketball, etc., uh, etc., et and, yeah. and holidays. Well, so, Paul, hmm. is, Paul, where do you give a month off during the summer or two weeks off during the summer? The facts remain that pre, pre, um, pre-summer season, they were cramming games into the last three months. Um, so you, you're just going to go back to that, which doesn't make any sense. So if you want to say, listen, we'll have, we'll have a month off, we'll have four weeks, or we'll have three weeks. Listen, as long as when the kids come back from the holiday, there's football there to be played, as opposed to what was in the past, no football in the summer. Mm-hmm. So you play your leagues. As you say, the elite will always do things, should do things more professionally. 
Um, but as, as regards to group participation levels, still you've got to give the chance to maximize participation by having football in the good weather. Okay, so the bigger like picture would be, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. It's, yeah, you know, it, it's a player, it's a player development discussion, and unfortunately, we haven't had an, enough discussions in Irish football in recent times uh, about player development. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with if you're an under six in Belgium, you play in your under six football festivals, your little dribbling soccer, one against one games, three or four clubs come together, hundreds of kids on a pitch. Nice sunny day, parents, barbecues, music, whatever. Now, an under six, the majority of under sixes in, in Ireland do not have that opportunity. Yes, they might do their academy session on a Saturday morning. You know, if I was to ask Paul, how many foot, football festivals will home farm under sixes participate yeah. in yeah. the calendar year? And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. We need to get it down in black and white that if I'm an under six from inner city Dublin, North Donegal, West Cork, Galway, or North Clare, I can do 24 coaching sessions, go to seven blitzes, go to an outside tournament, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that calendar of activity yeah. needs See, to be Dennis, Stephen Finn on a previous podcast talked about what you just described there is the having these festivals and really when you think about it, it kind of takes that competitive, Not it doesn't take out the competitive aspect, but the whole aspect of winning leagues and all that is gone because it's a festival of everybody involved, whether it's a barbecue, there's an enjoyment aspect to it. It's all about, and, and again, you're talking about young young kids, just letting them play. And, and yeah, it, it's, it's that participation, but equally, hmm. the, the, the calendar for November, December, January, and February would be a whole host of a menu of futsal tournaments. Hmm. Sure. competitive, highly technical, accelerated development. I mean, yes, Juventus are known for, for their senior team. and But for example, Juventus Academy players will, will do one session of futsal a week mm. because it's recognised as a technical player development tool. We probably are all in agreement that summer soccer would be much favourable to winter soccer. No. You're not. You don't agree with that, Tony. I I, I don't agree with it because yeah. I, I, and it's not it's not that I'm against uh, one or the other, but mm. I think we need to be very careful because, like, we have a history and a tradition here of knee jerk reactions and finding quick fix solutions, right? And I think what we need is, and somebody alluded to earlier on, we need a proper analysis of our game because our game is in trouble. Our association is in trouble. We've we were on the verge of, of liquidation. Um, um, only, only a couple of months ago, we have a serious financial debt. There's a lack of investment and our game is struggling. We have a lack of uh, confidence. Uh, we've lost support and we've lost the public confidence as well. And a lot of people are drifting away and other sports are, are, are capitalizing on it. So we need a proper analysis of our game and where it is. And we need to come to a, a, a solution. And if that's summer soccer, I'm, I'm all with it. But what, what, one of my fears that... that uh, People who, the administrators who ran leagues right across the country always had a, a, an objective, finish the league, finish the league. So they went to their AGM or they went to the thing, we finished our leagues, mm. right? And we presented the trophies. And one of the things that what I would fear about summer soccer is that we start to get more, we get maybe better participation, right? We get more games played. We cooperate with other sports, but we lack 
the key element of our sport or of any sport is training and preparing and developing. And so what's the ratio of play to, to, to train? You know, is it two to one, is it three to one? And if we're managing to, to uh, accommodate or, or cooperate with other sports to allow more games to be played, maybe we become just a participation sport and that we lose out on the key element of training and developing. So, you know, best practice would be at least three to one, three training sessions to one game. Um, in, uh, on the continent, you look and see what are they doing? They're doing four or five sessions to a game. Hmm. So they're the things that I would worry about. And it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm anti-summer um, soccer or pro-winter soccer. It's that I, I see our game slipping and sliding. And I think what we need is we need proper leadership. Mm. And again, you know, we, we have through the crisis that we've gone through, we've, we've addressed some of the leadership difficulties that we've had. And we've now focused, in my opinion, very much, which was required on corporate governance. Sure. But that's, that corporate governance is, 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 is necessary. But we need something then to look at the football. Just, Tony, can I just ask, just to focus on the season, right? And Dennis, you you have uh, done this in Clare. Who makes that decision? Who, and again, it's just because the season is the topic of this conversation. Who decides on whether the league or the county or the league within the county plays a winter season or a summer season? Yeah, Paul, and I suppose just to maybe clarify and touch on everyone's pros and concerns and worries mm-hmm. and positives, when we when we reported this back within the FAI, it was very important that we clarified the language and we actually replaced winter and summer with one calendar season. Right. Uh, and I suppose the thing is, as Martin touched on and everyone's fully aware of, our kids, the Irish kids, do simply not play the game enough in whatever format that takes. Um, but to answer your question directly about who decides, it's the grassroots coaches and the grassroots uh, committees that are in place across the country. So, for example, in the Clare context, we had four or five consecutive winter seasons where, as Paul said, you know, we went 60 days without a game of any shape or form from, from December mm-hmm. through to March. So, I mean, it just, it just came to a head. And the uh, working groups were formed uh, from within the club and the committee to look at it. How would we structure a different playing season? And it, it was it went to a, uh, it went to a votes, yeah. as, as everything in Irish football has traditionally done. Um, and yes, when it came to the time, one or two the particularly dominant clubs in the winter were totally against it initially, and all the small rural clubs um, were for it. Um, because obviously the traditional stronger clubs would have all their strong strongest players available in the winter season. But that was their motivation for, for going against it originally. And uh, Dennis, just just because I wouldn't know this kind of stuff too, that is where the Clare League would bring its affiliates together and there'd yeah, be consultation so, and a local vote to say we either hands in the air, we go with this or we don't go with this. Yeah, and it was it was initially right. put in for a three-year trial period. Uh, every year consecutively, the strongest club um, in the winter voted against it. Um, and then the clubs decided after three successful years, 
you know, the clubs put in a motion that the two thirds majority was needed to return. Okay. Um, and are you aware of any other leagues that are playing? At the time, one calendar? At the time when we looked at the 2007, 2008, uh, Mayo were initially one of the first Roscommon, Inishowen, and the West Cork School by leagues. Um, it seems seems kind of bizarre that it, it's like that, isn't it? It just seems so disjointed that, and I know there's national competitions and stuff like that, like the Kennedy Cup, and but it just seems a bit. You know, if you're looking from the outside in, and, and in some respects, I feel I am because I don't know the ins and outs of how it all works. But you kind of think that everybody would be doing the same. So are we in agreement then that the current situation where you have a one calendar season in the elite underage national leagues and the schoolboy season being in the winter, that that's not sustainable or there, there is a place for it? There's no, how, in the current circumstance, you know, clubs, and, and we all know this, clubs are being rifled with their players halfway through a season. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's putting football out of the other kids' heads because the other kids are involved probably with a half-decent, we'll say, premier side in whatever club it might be. And all of a sudden then, their mates are gone in February, March. The Grassroots Coach. Conversations for grassroots soccer enthusiasts.